go back into our one another series. We took a little detour our last couple of weeks, but we're going to get back and have about a couple more messages, and then we're going to wrap that up, and then I have another exciting series for you, so I hope these are helping you out. Stay with one focus and move together as one group, so let's go to God in a prayer, and uh, we will jump into our next one another passage, which I think you're going to enjoy. Let's pray. Our gracious Father in heaven, thank you again for bringing us here this morning, for waking us this morning, and God, as I drove into church and tried to prepare my mind and my heart to worship you, God, I, I couldn't help but uh, feeling anxious and fighting off all the anxieties. And I thank you that we have you, that I can come to you in prayer and cast all my anxieties on you, Father. That I don't have to worry and be uh, pulled in so many different directions, God, because you, your shoulders are big enough to carry the burdens that we cannot. And Father, I also couldn't help but looking outside the window at all the people who are beating their bodies in this triathlon and swimming in the beautifully clean Hudson River and hopping on their 10-speed bikes and, 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 and wrapping it all up with a run in Central Park in 100-degree rough weather. And I just thought, wow, we, the things we do when we put our minds in it and the things we're able to do when we get our hearts behind it, and Father, I just pray that we can have that same devotion towards you and your cause. God, be with us this morning. We love and thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 First, before we get into the message, I wanted to acknowledge, I don't know if we did or not, but I wanted to acknowledge that we have a campus intern this summer. Cat from campus. Who's Cat? Thank you. Come on, Cat. Cat will be interning. This summer, helping out Leslie with the campus ministry. We're excited. You know, Cat's one of Harlem's own. You gotta be excited about that. Uh, man, Cat, you team, right? Oh my God, I'm, I'm embarrassing you, right? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But it's in my notes, so I gotta say it. Uh, the last one, another passage we looked at together was encourage one another. Encourage one another. How, say amen if you need encouragement. Yeah. You love to be encouraged, right? Doesn't that feel good? It even feels good rolling off the tongue. Encourage. And we looked at the importance of being encouraged and giving encouragement. It's one thing to receive encouragement. I feel a lot better when I give encouragement. When there's someone I'm with and they leave and they're like, bro, thank you so much for encouraging me. It feels, it feels good. But today I want to look at another of the one another commands. And this one might frighten you, but it's in the Bible, and we are a Bible-based church, right? So we got we got to talk about everything, right? But it also may inspire you. So I don't know; it depends. But we're gonna go for it, right? But before we look at it, let me just ask you a question because you know it's, it's ironic that a brother. Uh, Victor got up and shared his heart of communion and, you know, kind of very, very vulnerable. But let me ask you a question. Ask me, tell me if you can relate to these thoughts. I'm tired of living or I'm not interested at all in the Christian life. Have you ever had that thought? Yeah? How about, I'm tired of being made fun of or laughed at for believing in Jesus. You ever had that experience, like maybe a family member, a co-worker? I've had that done before. But what about this? I often feel like a hypocrite. Like, 
I know what I should be doing, but I'm not living the way. So you always often feel like, am I being hypocritical here? Or what about, I feel like my life is under a lot of pressure. I have pressure at work. I got pressure at home. I get pressure at the church. I'm feeling pressure right now because you're talking about this terrifying one another command. Or what about, I wish I had the same energy, zeal, and excitement about church as I used to. You ever had that feeling? I had that feeling this morning. How about, I know what I need to do, but I just don't feel like doing it. I had one of those moments yesterday. I'm like, man, I, I know I should talk to this person, but I just don't feel like talking to nobody right now. And what happens in those moments? You go through this tug of war with yourself, right? Talk, no. Talk, no. Talk, no. Talk, no. And then what happens? The person gets up and leaves. And you win the tug of war, but then you feel terrible for winning. Well, if you felt those things, you're not alone. As you heard all the amens here in the room, they're also our brothers and sisters in the church who've gone through similar attitudes and thoughts and emotions. You know, the Hebrew, the book of Hebrews was written, there's a letter written to the Jewish Christians who were undergoing some intense persecution. And they were, they were not only being persecuted physically, but also socially. You know, you got to remember that they were, they were once a part of, the, the, the Ju of, of Judaism. So, being called out of Judaism to follow Christ, they had to face the social criticisms and the family, you know, uh, being threatened by their families or being disowned and, and even with violence because they're leaving the faith. You got to understand that that's all they had was their faith, their religion. And here comes this Jesus guy telling you to no longer live that way, live this way. So there were some conflicts at home. And you had some holding to the Judaism faith, and then you had some who were following Jesus, but everybody that was following was being persecuted for this faith. And then you have the Romans, who were just oppressive, who made sport of persecuted Christians. And yet, with all that, every week they're hearing the message, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. It's 2018, and Jesus has not come back yet. Imagine what that would do to your faith if that was the only hope you had and he hadn't come back. You're like, when is he coming back? So the writer had to do something. Because what was happening is that you had brothers and sisters leaving and going back to their old way of life. They went back to what they were used to. They went back to what they were comfortable with. They stopped going against the grain and started to take the path of least resistance. Because they had so much going on and they just couldn't take it anymore. Some of us here felt the same thing. You know, it was a lot easier when I was just sinning, doing whatever I wanted. 
I didn't have to worry about anybody showing me no Bible verses. It was just a lot easier when we just, my family just stayed home for church. I didn't have to worry about wrestling the kids and getting them up. Just ask me then. What time does the game come on? It is easier. It's a lot, let's be honest now. Right? It's a lot easier to just stay in bed, let your kids watch whatever's on TV. But we made Jesus Lord. We made Jesus Lord. But you notice how the Hebrew writer instructed the church with all that going on. Turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. It says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. You see, the Hebrew Christians were forgetting what they had in Jesus. And they needed to be reminded. Actually, in the passages before, in Hebrews 10, 19-23, he reminded them of what we had in Jesus. Since therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with sincere heart, full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Now you notice all these spiritual blessings we have. Just because of our relationship with God, we have access to the Father through Jesus. There's no more rituals, no more sacrifices, no more offerings. You can go directly to God and Jesus made that all possible. You don't have to make treks to Jerusalem to go and worship God. You can worship God right now you can worship God in the hallway. You can worship God all the way to the bus stop. You can worship God on the bus, on the train, in the bathroom, in the shower, in the store, wherever you're at. You have access to the Father because of Jesus. We have a great high priest in Jesus, meaning that we have a guaranteed connection to God the Father. We have full assurance. There's no reason to doubt that God loves you and you're connected to God because all that has been dealt with. Yeah. Jesus took care of that. Yeah. Our hearts and our minds are cleansed. The conscience that, that, that we had that made us feel guilty before Christ is no longer there. Now we may still be haunted by our past, but God no longer holds your past against you. So your conscience will not convict you because the guilt is no longer there. Even though some of the consequences may still linger. And here's my favorite. We have hope. We have hope. You know, if you, if you go through life trying to figure life out, you may find yourself bumping in the walls and you may not know the answer then. Where am I going? Why am I here? What is my purpose? What am I supposed to do? How do I know where I fit in? You have hope in Christ Jesus. You don't have to figure all that out because God has already figured it out for you. God has laid a path for you to follow that leads to all the blessings that he's promised. All you need to do is obey, submit, and walk with Jesus. 
You know, it's like when we were first, when we were babies, just learning how to walk. Our parents took us by the hand, and they walked with us. And then eventually we were able to walk on our own, but when we saw the, uh, when we, they saw us about to walk into a dangerous place, what did they do? They ran over, they interceded, they got involved. God does the same thing for us. We have that assurance of faith. And then we have a faithful God. He will not let you down. He will not disappoint you. He always comes through when you need him the most. So they needed to be reminded because they were forgetting what they had in Jesus. They were going back to their own lives. And the Hebrew reminder reminds us today of the tremendous benefits that we have in Christ Jesus. But then he also points out that these benefits should not be taken lightly. You know, sometimes God can be taken for granted. Because he is a gracious God. Because he is slow to anger. Because he, is, he, he chooses compassion over punishment most of the time. Because God's patience is, is never ending. Sometimes we can take God for granted. And so, as we're reminded of all the benefits, we also have to keep in mind that God should not be taken for granted. Now, he points out all these benefits, but then he goes on and he says, spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And that's what we're going to look at today. Now you might be saying, well James, what does spur mean? We're not in the wild, wild west. No one's walking around here with cowboy boots on. So how am I supposed to spur my brother and sister on? I mean, how, how does that all work, right? Well, first we got to understand what that means right here. Because they didn't have cowboy boots back in those days. So they had to mean, this word had to mean something entirely different, right? So let's look at this word. Now the Greek word for spur literally means to stir up, to provoke, irritate, a sharp disagreement, an intense argument, a healthy encouragement, and it actually means dispute. Now, I know, I see some of these faces and I'm like, they're like, whoa, 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 James, what are you talking about? How could, how could, why would we be commanded to irritate each other? Why would we be commanded to stir up something? I came to church to worship God. I ain't come to church to have nothing stirred up. Right? Now these two words, this, this word only appears a couple times in the whole New Testament. Right? Listen how it's used. Look at how it's used. 2 Corinthians 9, 9 verse 2. For I know your eagerness to help. For I've been boasting that Paul was talking to the Corinthian church about giving. About their, their, their special contribution to Jerusalem. Right? Since I know your eagerness to help and I've been boasting about it. To the to Macedonians, telling them that since last uh, year you and Acacia were ready to give and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. So the enthusiasm of the church to give stirred other churches up into action. Hey, if they're giving, then we need to give. Because otherwise, they weren't motivated to give. So they were stirred up. They were stirred up to action. Look at the other ways used. In Acts 15, verse 37. 
We all know about the, the, the famous uh, dispute between Paul and Barnabas, right? Verse 37. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark with him, but Paul did not think it was wise because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted ways. Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. These are the only two times this, this, this word is used in right there in Hebrews. And this is what we're commanded to do. So the church is going through all this intense persecution and the Hebrew writer says, let us consider how we may spur one another on. And I sat there and I wrestled with this for a while. I'm thinking, well, what, how does that, how would that help me? And I only think about one thing. When you realize how blessed you are in God, and you start acting some kind of way, sometimes we need somebody who says, are you serious? Don't you know what Jesus did? Didn't you just hear what Victor Polanco said for communion? Don't you know what God has done for you? Don't you know that you don't have to go through a priest to have a relationship with God? You don't need a man to intercede for you. You can have a personal relationship with God, just the two of you. And you have a family of believers that can help you, mature you, encourage you, and, and build you up and lift you up and push you forward. Why are you still acting like this? We forget God. Sometimes we want a little encouragement. We want somebody to come by and just throw their arm around us and be like, You all right, brother? You okay? How much of that do you need, though, before something really happens? You know, there are times where we lose our minds. Let's just call it what it is, right? This is not a nice word. It's not a comfortable word. It's an aggressive word. But it is a command nonetheless. Now I can see the unsettled looks on some of your faces. Some of you are looking like, I wish somebody would try to spur me on. I'll show them, I'll show them some love and good deeds. I to come up here stirring up, getting up in my business, stirring up. Talking about some sharp disagreement. Why would the Hebrew writer command this? Why would he use this word? Why didn't he just say encourage one another toward love and good deeds? Remember, encouragement rolls right off the tongue. Encourage. Encourage. Now say spur. Spur. You can't even say it without feeling something in your gut, right? You can't even feel a little scratch it. Spur. Come here, bro. Let me spur you on. How do you say it? You can't even say it. Come here, let me spur you on. Like, it, even when you try to say it with a smile on your face, it feels uncomfortable. And here's the thing. It's okay to have a little discomfort in life. It keeps us humble and it keeps us close to God and one another. Let's answer a few questions here. 
why, why do we need to spur one another on toward love and good deeds? You guys know who this guy is, right? The GOAT, the greatest of all time, Michael Jordan, basketball player. I mean, it's amazing how his influence has reached, even now, this generation, to where they're comparing the greatest basketball player of this generation to him. That's how strong this man's influence is, right? The impact that he's left on sports, and, and not just basketball, but sports across the board. People are being called the Michael Jordan of this or the Michael Jordan of that because he was such a talented player. But he didn't win these championships by himself. In fact, he was so intense about winning that he actually got into fistfights with his teammates. One practice, he punched the center Luke Longley in the face. One game, he punched John Paxton in the, in the eye. He got it. He would constantly get up in his, his team place, in, in his teammates' faces because, one, he wanted to win, but then, two, he knew they were not being their best. How would you feel if someone gave you a spiritual black eye today? <laughs> Punish who has trampled the Son of God on the foot. 
who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, and who has insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, and again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You know, I, my parents were very firm on discipline. Whenever my brothers and I did something that was out of line, there was a fearful expectation of judgment, and it was a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of Barbara Bell. <laughs> That's just how it was. I had to fear God instilling me at a very early age to the point to where I just knew there was something, and whether it, you know, it happened or not was irrelevant. Just the thought that somebody knew my mother was watching me really helped me avoid a lot of things. Because I'm thinking, yo, this, this is only somebody in this bus knows my mother. So if I start cursing like my, my boy is doing right, somebody's a, and then you start getting all paranoid and the people, you know how people just kind of, you just kind of make eye contact and nobody's really paying attention. You just happen to be looking in your direction and you're like, oh, she knows my mother. She heard me. And then all, the rest of the day, you all, you're just waiting for it. And you know, it was just me with the fear of God. Are you afraid to dishonor God? It says if you deliberately keep on sin, that means you know what you're doing. You know what you're about to do. So there's only one thing they expect. And we're not talking about that, that, that good old religious judgment, God will judge me. No, no, no. You don't want God to judge you when you deliberately keep on sinning. That's the point. You got all these benefits in Jesus, but hold up. If you dishonor these things, if you take these things for granted, if you act like Jesus didn't die for you, you got to expect God's going to deal with that. Now let's consider the context. Because when we do that, we... There should be no question as to why we're being spurred on. So when someone comes into your life and they spur you on towards love and good deed, you, you should have an attitude of gratitude. Because they obviously see you going in a direction that's not pleasing to God. Well, James, you don't understand my situation. Here's the thing. I may not but God knows every situation. God knows whether you're working more than you need to. And whether you're working just because you want to. We use work sometimes as an excuse. I got bills to pay. Who doesn't? But is God a priority in your life? Well, bro, you don't understand. I, I left my country to come here to pursue the American dream. So what? God gave you a new dream. God gave you a new dream, and God's dream is better than your dream. Because through God's dream, you can help more people than your, your little family. There are people you can help beyond your comprehension. 
But James, you don't understand. I've been alone for so long. You know what? God understands. God knows. But that's still no reason for us to deliberately sin. Now I know society has gone very sensitive to a lot of things in the world today. And a lot of that has spilled into the church to the point to where we don't even want to talk to each other. We see something, it looks suspicious, we know it ain't right, the scriptures are big, like, like ping pong balls going off in our head. Ding, 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 ding. And you're just trying to shake it away. But you know you should say something. But I don't want to hurt the feelings. Spur. Spur. It ain't going to feel good. But let me tell you something. If it results in good deeds, they will thank you for it and they will thank God for it. Why do we need it simply? Because we just don't want to always do what's right. We don't. It doesn't feel good all the time. If doing the right thing felt good all the time, then we would be commanded to do what you feel. But we don't always feel like doing the right thing. We don't. Have you ever wondered why spurs are used on horses? The reason why spurs are used on horses is not because you want them, it's not all entirely because you want them to do something. It's to correct them when they miss something. So if you're saying go right and you're cueing them to go right and they don't go right, you hit them with your spur. Because they miss the cue. If you're giving them a direction and they miss the direction, they miss the cue, you spur them on. And that's why you use, now here's the, here's the kicker though. Only experienced riders should use spurs. Why do you think that is? Because we be like, and the poor horse, you, you give it the wrong cue, you might want it to stop, but because you dug in, it's gonna keep going. It's gonna take off. So you need an experienced person to spur on. Which even drives, would drive the point even further why we need to be in our Bibles. Yeah. Yeah. Paul says, entrust to reliable men who correctly handles the word of truth. Yeah. Right? We need to know how to spur each other on. Otherwise, it's just your opinion yeah. versus theirs. But we got to be in our Bibles enough to know, you know what, something's not right here. This scripture is not being obeyed, so I need to spur on because this is the scripture I see. You've got to make that spiritual connection there. Because otherwise, it's just your opinion. And then you're going to have to disagree, agree to disagree. But if it's biblical and it's clear, and you know what you're talking about, then you can spur them on in the right direction. Does that make sense? Now, I believe deep down we want to do the right thing. But sometimes... We do drift. Because we're not paying attention. We're missing those spiritual cues. 
So as your servant in the Lord, can I spur us on? Can I spur you on, Harlem? Are you sure? May 6, 2018, 10.01 a.m. May 13, 2018, 10 a.m. What time does church start? May 20th, 9.59 a.m. June 3rd, 9.57 a.m. And none of these pictures are photoshopped. I'm not that good. They say a picture is worth a thousand words. What are those pictures saying to you? You, you may think, because you're a disciple, we shouldn't need to be spurred on. I'm a believer. I, we, shouldn't, we, we should be at a point where we don't need, but his God, as long as you're in Christ, you're going to need to be spurred on. And we cannot be so hands-off in each other's lives that we don't have these conversations. Now look, I'm not going to blast the whole church and say stop being late. Because I know some of us aren't late all the time. But what I am concerned about is the attitude. Because worship is an attitude. It's an attitude. It's one thing to come late, but it's one thing to casually come in late. We stroll in, and the attitude is, I'm here. When you're late for work, do you just casually stroll in? And you'll be casually walking right back out. I told y'all the story many times. When I worked for the post office, my boss, she laid into me, and I was embarrassed. I'm a disciple. He said, James, we pay you 100%, we expect 100%. I almost lost my job with the U.S. government because I was late. A job that took me seven years to get. I almost moved because I was late. Wasn't that I was in the harbor? When I was there at work, it was getting there on time. Now I can have every excuse in the book. Well, James, give yourself a little credit because you had to go all the way to Jersey City and you, you were a part of campus ministry that met downtown Manhattan and you lived in the Bronx, so you were all over the place. You were making disciples. You were studying the Bible people. You were going to Midway. You can say all this. And oh, by the way, you had to be to work at 1 a.m. I could have made every excuse in the book. But you know what the brothers... If Christ told me, you need to make it happen. You need to honor God with your time. And guess what? I did. But I needed that spurring on because otherwise, I would have just been as casual and as comfortable. And you got to think, what does our visitors think? When they come in and we're telling them, on our invitations, it says 10 a.m., and the church ain't there at 10 a.m. 
pastor shall take the church. When they don't even come to church on time. I'll go down the street where people show up on time. Make fun of their hats. Make fun of their suits. But they're there on time. And early. Blocking up the street and everything. We got a parking lot. They got a double park. Let's move on. Worship is an attitude towards God. Let me, let me encourage you with the scripture. In Psalm 63, verses 1 and 5, my, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land, like right now, where there is no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing, my lips, my mouth will praise you. I want to challenge you. I want to spur you on to make each week this, make this your attitude each week. Be earnest. Be expected. And be early. Amen? Yeah. Lastly, how do we spur one another on? How do we spur one another on? Now before y'all go around starting fights with each other, let's go back to the verse. Let us consider how. There is a process. Okay? Let us consider how. Don't just go spur in a moment and start laying into people. Matter of fact, you shouldn't be laying into people anyway. Okay? That's not the whole point. It's the urgency. It's the heart. It's the intensity. The love that we show each other that, that is the spurring. It's not, I want to make somebody angry. I want to, I want to, you know, I want to beat somebody. It's not that. It's the intensity that we approach a situation because we understand what's at stake. And so, first we got to remember that the goal is not to stir up trouble. It's to stir up towards love and good deeds, right? You have to direct the person toward love and good deeds. You gotta, that means you got to think about, okay, how will this person respond if I did it this way. You gotta know, or if you don't know the person, then you better get to know the person. Because to just drop some bombs on people you're not close to, it may not go over well, so you gotta, you gotta consider how you can spur someone on toward love and good deeds. Think about the person, think about their needs, think about their situations. Look, if you got more than two kids and you're trying to get to church on, on time on Sunday, I applaud you. It's like trying to catch chickens. To get everybody. Did you eat? No, I didn't. Did you brush your teeth? No. Put some lotion on your ass. You just ate with all ashes. Put your shirt. I didn't get a nine shirt. Honey, where you at? Huh? So I understand. If you got a bunch of kids trying to get to church on Sunday at 10 a.m., and then you got to leave at a certain time, if you take the public transportation, the, the Uber didn't come right. They sent 
or Lyft instead of Uber. I mean, it's all over the place. So I understand, and God understands, right? So when we're talking to someone, first count their kids. So they got one, two, three, four, five. All right, you know what? Let me get the Let me go back to the drawing board. Yes. Lord help me. Is she a single mom? You might want to take her out for lunch. Without the kids to spur her on. But we gotta look at people's lives. You know, are they going, do they have some health issues that prevent them from being to getting to church or getting anywhere one time? I remember there used to be a sister in the downtown ministry who had a condition where she 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 was, you know, she when she would leave the house, she couldn't remember if she locked the door or not. And she would constantly go back. She'd get to the elevator. Did I lock the door? And would go back to the door to check. Okay, she did. And she would do that at least ten times before she left her building. And the sisters would get on her about being late, being late, and being late. But they had no idea what was going on in her life. So we need to get in each other's lives and know each other well enough to know, you know what? She's got some things going on. He's got some things going on. I need to still spur them on, but it's not the kind of spurring on that somebody who's in a different place needs. Does that make sense? So we got to consider, secondly, with love and good deeds, what, what love and good deeds are you spurring them on to? You got to know what you're doing. You don't to just get on a horse and ride into the sunset. You got to know where you're going. If you're going to the store, if you're going to the creek, if you're going to the barn, if you're going to the hall. I mean, you got to know where you're going, right? So if you're trying to spur someone on, where do I want this person to go? Where do I see, where is God calling me to, to, to direct this person? Because I don't want to just have this conversation just to be having a conversation. So where are we going with this? Because they're going to ask you, where are we going with this? If they don't see it. So you got to know what you're talking about, right? Now, here's some love and good deeds that I think we should be. That's constantly going on, right? Loving God. We need to constantly spur each other on to loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Loving our neighbor, each other, and our lost neighbors. We need to continue to help each other stay close to God and stay faithful, but we also need to be helping those who don't have a relationship with God. Sometimes that takes spurring on. Bro, I don't like to share my faith. I don't like rejection. I get nervous around people. I don't like talking to strangers. Nobody does. But we have to do it. The world is lost. We have the answers. We have the truth. We got to share. Amen? Amen? Another. Resolving conflict. Matthew 5, 25. Settle matters quickly. Settle matters. If you don't settle matters quickly, they linger and then they pile up, and they pile up, and then before you get to talk about the first offense, the person may have offended you the second time, now you got to talk about that, and by the time you finally sit down and talk, you want to bring up the first thing, but then you got a whole laundry list of things that you didn't get resolved about the first time, so now you got all this. See, a lot of that happened in marriages. Settle matters quickly. Talk to your spouse. Can we talk about something? We need to talk. We need to get resolved. Talk about it quickly. Don't let things build up. Amen? And then lastly, righteousness. Acts 26, verse 20. Prove their repentance by their deeds. Righteousness is 
repentance. It's, it's, it's walking in, in a constant awareness of your relationship with God. That involves repentance. That involves looking at sin the way differently than the way we used to. Because now we're in a relationship with God. We're in a covenant relationship with God. And if we're going to keep this covenant with God, then there's some things we got to live by. And so we got to make sure that we're proving our repentance by our deeds. That is not just what we say, but it's how we live. Amen? You know, a great example of this is Nathan. And we're going to wrap this up here. You know, Nathan and David. Nathan had to confront David on some sin in his life. And in 2 Samuel 11, 27, you know, right here we see that David, just at the end of that chapter, David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. He murdered her husband. I mean, David was just having a very bad day. And it says that thing, the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Right? And over in chapter 12, in verse 1, what I think is interesting is that it says the Lord sent Nathan to David. Think about that. David is a man after God's own heart. God could have spoken to David directly. Sometimes we don't budge unless we hear something from God directly. Well, God didn't tell me to do that. So why are you telling me to do that? Because God told me to tell you to do it. If there's something that needs to change, oftentimes God will send someone to talk to you. Just like he did a man after his own heart. So don't kill the messenger. He's just doing what the Lord sent him to do. Okay? Sometimes that spurring comes from the Lord through people. And then it goes on and says in verse, uh, verse 12, when he came to him, he said, there were two men in a certain town, one rich, the other poor. Here's the thing. I imagine that as Nathan is on his way to talk to David, he's contemplating, how am I going to talk to David about what he just did? Keep in mind that David's already on a sin binge right here. He's committed murder. He's committed adultery. I mean, all in one night, I mean, David is off the chain right now. So who knows where his mind is at? Who knows where, we already know where his heart is at. Imagine David coming up to him without being prepared. Or without considering how to spur David on. David could have turned around and killed him. So Nathan considered how to talk to David. And he goes and he tells him a story. Because he knew how to get to David's heart. He knew how to get to David's heart. He knew that David couldn't stand injustice. He knew that David didn't like bullies. He didn't like, because that's who, remember Goliath? Goliath was a bully. David didn't like bullies. He was like, who is this that's defiling the armies of the living God? So Nathan told him a story similar to the bully he faced when he first became God's man. He went right back to what brought David to God in the first place. He got David worked up. He stirred something up in his heart. And David was ready to go to war. And then that's when Nathan spoke the truth 
in love with an exclamation point. You are the man. You're the man. You are the guy I'm talking about. And David responded the way we want everyone to respond. Created me a pure heart. Oh God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressions your ways and sinners will turn back to you. You know, when David found out, found out he was the villain in the story, he responded first by showing his love for God. By repenting and going to God and admitting his fault. And then the good deed was, I'm going to tell people. David wrote this right after, as a result of what he had done in his, his, his right after his, his conversation with Nathan, or shortly thereafter. So it was still fresh on his mind, it was still fresh on his heart. And as we read through the Psalms, we know that David did what he said he was going to do. He pointed people back to God. And you know, sometimes the greatest lessons and the greatest opportunities for us to share with others are right after we blow them. Because God's grace and forgiveness is still fresh. And we can talk to people, man, you know what, I just messed up myself. I, I know what that feels like. This is what I do. What would our lives look like with more love and good deeds in it? Who do you need to spur on today? And what do you need to be spurred on toward? Let's keep each other on our hearts, on our minds, and let's spur one another on toward love and good deeds. God be the glory.